0: to everybody and their neighbor. Welcome back to Gear and Gigs. I'm your host, Jet Stone. So glad you could stop by today. It is a super special day here in the studio. We have visiting virtually, of course, with us Nick Bernstein. You've seen him on James Corden. You've heard the name. Perhaps you've seen him on a horse. He's the most famous reluctant star in the world, I think, right now. And we are so fortunate to have gotten him to come on the show. Nick, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me. Thanks for the introduction. Can I, can <laughs> I, I call you? Nick? Posted. Is that okay, or should I call you Mr. Bernstein because you're pretty important? And Nick is Nick is perfectly fine. Um, yeah, reluctant. Reluctant is uh, is a great adjective to use to describe uh, to describe me and my journey so far.
0: The thing that I've noticed from watching the show and then watching your appearance come on through the the pandemic and all the changes is that. You are such a team player. You're so willing to give of yourself for the bit, for the team, for the show, for the for the advertisers, for the corporation, whatever. You're I've never seen somebody that's so willing to do that with a smile on their face and, you know, clear clear reluctance sometimes, but yet I'll do it anyway. Not a lot of not a lot of fear. You're willing to like just dive in and I got to say that's to be admired. That is really something
1: special. Oh, that's really nice of you to say. Thanks. I think it was pretty easy at first. Uh, To have that attitude, because when I started coming on to the show, it was uh, it was still at the time when we didn't have an audience. And so we were in a room in the studio, if people haven't seen it, where James's audience was just made up of people who work on the staff. And Mm -hmm. when I got the okay to to be part of that, um, you're just hanging out with friends for. Up to uh, 80 minutes, 90 minutes, and the first half of that is just people joking with each other like they would have during uh, during like rehearsals in the before times, or some maybe in the coffee room or, or wherever we happen to be just hanging out. And uh, obviously, like we've all known each other for a pretty long time, and we have good rapport, but that somehow unbelievably translated into television. And so, I don't know, I think I kind of grew up just always liking anything that was a little bit behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And when you got to see those people who somehow have to do a show, whatever that job might have been, and they are now all of a sudden part of the show, I always found that really fun. So I try to keep that in mind with whatever they ask me to do, whether it's a question that I am sometimes uncomfortable uh, answering, or if it goes beyond that, and sometimes now they're putting me in sort of larger uh, sketches every once in a while, which I mean, it's just ridiculous. Do
0: you think that going back in late night history, do you think, I'm trying to think Carson didn't do that a lot, but it seems like Letterman started doing that, bringing out some of the writers occasionally to sit or to do a bit or whatever. And and, uh, some of them went on to be stars in their own right, of course, but- You guys have have done that to a different, whole different level. I mean, now you know we we know so many of the crew out there. Are they
1: comfortable with that? Are they reluctant about it? Or is it kind of a mix? Or uh, I would say almost everybody who is some semi regularly been featured, uh, with the exception of maybe Scott, the camera person, um, are all pretty game for it. Really? I mean, even I think Susan, even Susan, Susan's Susan's pretty happy with it. Yeah, yeah. Susan's pretty into it. Um, she, uh, she gets a kick out of it. I mean, Susan, let's not forget, what uh, she wasn't a, a, a Starbucks uh, integration uh, with all of us. Um, so um, I think, uh, yeah, Scotty is the one who's a little more shy than the rest, but even when he's on, he's fine with it. Uh, I think we kind of all sort of jump into this uh, type of industry, not because we all want to be in front of the camera, but we all at least can acknowledge and accept that um we know what that's like we can see what it's like and and we can uh, take part without um uh, well without having too much uh reluctance so so
0: that that that
1: begs two questions for me one
0: since everybody's wearing masks or at least you know for the most part in this time period where they've become famous adjacent we'll say uh huh <laughs> Do, do they, do you think the masks in some way help them go from I'm behind the scenes person to now I'm on camera because you can't always see their expression. You just get to see their eyes. You know, like Susan, for instance, I get the mm-hmm. feeling she likes being behind the mask for a lot of her expression or, or choice to not make one, so to speak. You know what I mean? Well,
1: I mean, even I, I feel like uh, even before the, maybe it was during the pandemic, they're, they did a bit hard to uh, with before Susan. Before
0: the pandemic. It's just, you know, it's been going forever. But, but anyway.
1: <laughs> they, they had a bit where um, people had to guess whether or not uh, they come up with a, a phrase uh, or just a, a concept, like, um, a, that may or may not be something Susan had done in her past. Sure. And then uh, and then you had to guess. And if you guessed correctly, you got this uh, autographed uh, photo of, of her. Um, now I'm actually, maybe that did come from the pandemic. Maybe that happened on account of the pandemic, but clearly she was like into it. And at one point in her life, she had done uh, some acting. So I don't oh. think that um, specifically, I guess you'd have to ask her, but I don't think that the mask, mask or no mask, it didn't really affect her specifically. Maybe some of us um, were uh, have a little bit more freedom because, uh, because of a covering, but I actually in some ways think because we have to wear masks all the time. It's just another, it's just like basically a piece of clothing at this point. It's just like part of our, what we wear. So, you know, sometimes for better or worse when it came to me before the KN95s, but like I had gotten in trouble for some of the type of masks that I've been wearing. I wouldn't um, say
0: that trouble is the right word, but I've garnered some perhaps uh, unwanted attention.
1: Unwarranted, yeah, yeah. Unwanted so and the, I would say unwarranted attention. Roasting
0: perhaps might be the term that-
1: Significant, uh, yes. Uh, it was a lot of- a lot of comments on it.
0: Um, yes, I, I promised Kelsey that I would not say a word about that. So I, even though I have many things bubbling up, I'd like to say uh-huh. I won't.
1: I won't because uh-huh. I feel
0: honestly, I feel like you've you've abused uh, uh, yourself enough of that. You, you've you've taken it. You've taken all the punches. You've been really good <laughs> about it, and and in particular, of course, the the infamous one. It being a gift coming from a good place with good memories of the horse racing and whatnot. I, to me, I couldn't. I couldn't even mock that. As soon as I'd found out that that's where it came from, I would have to pull off and, and make fun of you for something else. <laughs> but it, but it wouldn't have been that. But. I'm a horse racing fan too. I'm a big horse racing guy. Oh, I, cool. to Santa Anita. You know, I know that that's yeah. where they had your big day. And I used to work for a publishing company out, uh, right out there. So I used to go to Santa Anita and it's just such a beautiful track, such a gorgeous place. Yeah,
1: it's great. It's kind of fun. Like, uh, of all the things that that could have led to, I am now friendly with several people who work in the horse racing industry. Um, and that's become, a that that's been really nice on, on some of these bigger days. Uh, so and that's I'm not, not a culture it's over.
0: easy to break into otherwise they're pretty yeah. pretty clicky about that whole thing yeah so, they're they're a tight-knit uh, group
1: but uh yeah we had a group. they, they treated us really well when we had it, our uh, our day at Santa Anita and
0: uh you rode lava man I that's mean right. They, that's right you know Seattle Sloughs, the Grand Sire I mean that's like
1: a from a horse racing
0: guy that's like ooh, that's as good as you get I mean it was really cool I
1: couldn't believe they let us do that yeah
0: going all the way back to uh what was it uh uh, Boldnesian, the uh, the great 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 grandsire who won the San Anita Derby, what in '66? I mean, that's it's that's a, a lineage, yeah, that's a serious perfect. lineage of winning horses. So when, when I saw yeah. you on that, I'm like, oh man, can I make a <laughs> wish? That's very, <laughs> that's
1: very cool.
0: <laughs> very cool. Yeah. Um, I, I I won't spend too much time on the on the picture of you on the horse, but I would uh-huh. like to ask: is is the picture still up? The infamous lobby. It picture? is still is up. It still it's up? Still up. I mean, There's the picture. No no, no clue to the mystery, huh?
1: Uh, they, they did eventually. Uh, the, so when it went up, I had no idea that it was going up. They gave me a lie detector test, as you know, uh, because they didn't believe that I didn't know or that they thought somehow <laughs> that I, lie- I I just yeah. created this thing and then put it up on the wall. Which, by the way, I'm sure that they've mentioned it, but th- that wall is chock full of just James with the largest stars in the world. So it is, you know, him with LeBron James or Bruno Mars or Lady Gaga or Adele or you name it. And that's what it is. It's these epic moments from the show. And then me wearing this jockey outfit on a on the Mount board. Rushmore of famous people. Here you are. It's, uh, and, and so I don't I don't know if sometimes it fades into the background. I'm sure for most people it does. But anyone who looks up at that point and is like, wow, wow, wow. What? What is that? Dude, Why the that- Courses
0: family's been drinking off that for six months. I mean, really, that's <laughs> a big to-do for everybody. Yeah.
1: yeah, but I think that eventually, I think it was my bosses that ended up, uh, they were the ones who, who put that up and they thought it was funny. Um, they sad. took a picture with it on, uh, I hadn't, you know, be, I, I'm, I'm going into the office now and I, uh, but my office is not in the same, on the same lot as almost everybody else who works with me on the studio network side. They're on a different campus. That's because if I remember
0: correctly, you actually asked specifically to be on the campus of your show for your office, which when I heard that, I'm like this guy, team player, once again, the (laughs) check in the team player box again, over and over, but it's genius. That's genius. It's, yeah. it it says the right signal, both directions. And that's what, if there's one thing that I have seen about you and you know, I, I, I've done a lot of jobs. I've hired and fired a zillion people in my life. And so I'm always kind of evaluating. I have a psych degree. So I'm always evaluating people along these lines. It's like this guy plays the middle ground, but he's not playing. He he holds (laughs) this middle ground and it shifts wherever it is. But he knows how to create a win-win every time. And even if he has to suffer a little bit to do it, he does it and then takes the bigger win for himself. To me, that's that's the guy you always want. I mean, I actually put together a list of of, of, uh-huh. of traits that I've seen about you, and I'm not trying to blow smoke up your dress in any way, but this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because I, within within just a few uh, exposures to you, I'm like, oh man, I like this guy. He is cool. great. <laughs> I mean, Thanks. the long hair is great. You know, I like the long yeah, hair. Yeah, I'm, yeah, all, yeah, I'm awesome. all for that. But <laughs> it's like you're respectful. You're... You're appreciative of others, but also your own position. I mean, you look, you're appreciating all the, the, the little perks of this whole little escapade that may, you know, end any day. But, you know, you're, you're appreciative of it. You're thoughtful. You're, you're generous. You give to others. You're, you're, I, I've watched some podcasts where you've talked about going back to the, the summer camps that you used to attend as a kid and, and being a counselor and then going back and helping with their skits and things. It's like, look at him giving. He's tactful. like the henry kissinger the the voice of reason in the room he shows you that he understands everybody's side but then he boils it down to these salient decision points that are easy for everybody to swallow and handle and deal with i mean intelligent obviously but diligent and and just you just seem to see things all the way through now i don't know you may be a complete ball dropper in real life (laughs) and you're just faking it great but but comes across like that and when i look at your incredibly long History with an arc that just keeps doing this. I pardon my my kidding. Uh, it's it's impressive. I mean, did you ever think when you started out as a as a page at NBC that you would, you know, be a senior
1: VP of late night programming someday? I I definitely didn't. I mean, thank you first of all for that. Was a very lovely things to say. Um, I'm happy to know that that comes across. Um, I, I don't. No, you know what? When I started in. All I knew is that I wanted to work in television. Um, that was the thing that I wanted the most, and the idea that I could have some impact on whatever shows I got to work on or work with—that was that was the goal. So I tried not to think too much about what those next steps would be. Um, I didn't care, still don't care, clearly that much about um, you know titles, how to get there fast. i, I tried to realize pretty early on that like if I could be in a situation where I could learn a lot that was my number one priority um if I could work on or with people that I really admire and shows that I particularly like that was going to make work feel less like work um and then uh when I was a you know it it sounds like you know quite a lot about uh, my background, but my oh, first that job, diligence
0: thing too, you know. So I got <laughs> you know, I appreciate
1: know, it. It's 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 nice to be able to um to jump to that step. But my first job, uh, coming out of the page program, getting a chance to work in the late night department, you know, that was still at a time where I was young enough to not necessarily know is this a path that I want to take? Do I want to work in an office, work as an executive, potentially if I'm lucky enough to continue moving up? But I knew that. shows that my boss rick worked on were all the shows that i loved loved watching as a fan wanted to learn more about and so it didn't take long for me to recognize and realize if i really like this i think i could make a career in this in this field in late night and i think you might even (laughs) and that might work out yeah it might work out so i and then i mean basically like jumping to uh about seven years ago a little over seven years ago when I, uh, when I got a chance to come to CBS, um, I had known by that point how much fun it was to help uh, develop new shows and new late night shows specifically and how exciting it is when somebody is able to uh, be introduced to this world, um, get their voice out, have a point of view that is uh, interesting and important. And I, I didn't know James, particularly well before I started working on the show, but I'd seen enough that he'd done um, just online uh, in, in clips from whether it was hosting the British version of the Grammys or, or a couple of documentaries that he'd done, just the breadth of knowledge and interest that he had. And that was always the thing that was exciting for me. And I had had a little bit of experience then both working as an executive and working as a producer, so one of the reasons that I wanted to um, have my office in, at the same uh, campus as the Late Late Show uh, Productions was you, it's so hard to be a part of something if you're not there all the time because there's that one hour a day or so that they're taping the show is only a small portion of what goes into making that show. So I thought if they need my, if I can be of help, if they need something from me, I need to be there and be around. And consequently, and subsequently, uh, if my bosses who work at the network of the studio need something from me, it's going to be about that show. So, so I'm going to be accessible to them, but I will have more information to give them if I'm there all the time. And they understood that, and they were really cool about um, knowing knowing what they didn't know. Uh, about late night and trusting me that I could help sort of usher in this next generation, um, which basically was, uh, you know, from a creative standpoint, that's that's really James and Ben and Rob and Ian, like all, a lot of the people that you know and see on the show. Um, many of them were there at the start. Um, James Longman. Um, and, and it's a lot of it is giving them the opportunities to do the things they want to do. Um, and I knew well enough there that like not every executive is like this, not every producer's like this, but um just letting them experiment a little bit. That's 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 one of the joys I I have about uh about working in late night and, and watching late night. It's a little bit of uh discovery is really exciting. Once you cross that midnight line, you can have a lot more fun, can't you? that's the that's the hope yeah, yeah. you know a lot of people live
0: i know used to do that kind of stuff too you'd wait around to the end of the, the skits and they got mm-hmm. way wackier and, and yeah more everybody and more experimental and sometimes they didn't land but when they did it was wow.
1: yeah well and i'm you know even um one of the cool things that i got to do at Nbc early on um there was a window of time where there wasn't a 130 a.m show there is not a 130 a.m show now but uh for a while it was uh, if you remember, it was later with Bob Costas, and then that transitioned to Greg Kinnear, just a couple of other hosts, and then there was a window uh, about I don't know six or nine months where there was no last call, uh, no later, and last call with Preston Daly hadn't started yet. They were running repeats of SCTV, and here right. I was, wide open, nobody's tapping. I'm <laughs> I to mean, that anyway. window. If only we known each other 22 years ago. Know, right? um, and, uh, and so we were running these half-hour repeats of SCTV. And I would known SCTV and watched it a little bit, uh, but I was very young when that was uh, originally on. And to get a chance to watch that again in, at 1.30 in the morning, and I was watch all the episodes and- this uh, is and the best the, time to watch SCTV. Yeah, Absolutely. it really was. Yeah. I got all the jokes this time around. They did a lot of that behind the scenes, but it was all a goof because it was a, you know, the construct was it's a fake network. Uh, it's a fake station and everybody who works there also is somehow like a host of some of the, one of those other shows. And I have just always been enamored with that show and what they did and all the ways they weaved, uh, storylines through, um, which you just didn't see in, in comedy. And still you rarely see like Nick Kroll did it a little bit on his comedy central Mm -hmm. show. Mm -hmm. Um, where people could pop up in any number of various shows. And I I'm, I can only assume, I don't know him very well. I can only assume that he, he had some of that um, uh, SCTV tip of the hat um, for, for that show. But um, I think that's the other reason why uh, I still find it really fun when they can, uh, you know, uh, peek behind the curtain and see, um, see whoever is helping to make, make these shows, whether it's, the real thing or the, the, the construct.
0: I can't tell you how many times I've watched the monologue, which it, it, calling it a monologue seems a disservice to me. <laughs> not so much a monologue anymore, oh, you are. kind of a, yeah. a, a prologue. But to me, that's the meat of the show. I mean, the guests are great and sometimes they're fascinating, you know, but there's a lot of times where I, I I really don't care who the guest is. I just want to see you guys interact. I want to see fins up. I want to see, you know, huh. CC get a hard time or somebody reluctantly pull down their mask because now they've been asked a difficult question about their weekend or, you know, and yeah. you feel like, you know, these people and that, that inside joke culture, I think is, is one of the big strengths. I mean, that's, Letterman, once again, was a guy who really pulled out a lot of the that sense of you're in it with us on the inside jokes and we're being completely irreverent, but hey, you get this, right? We're in this together and yeah. some shows are not like that. They're just shows, they're variety shows, they're talk shows, they're done in a show format and they kind of keep to that uh, show ethic, we'll call it, but the breaking down of that fourth wall and, and smashing it to bits and crawling right next to me on my couch and talking to me is the thing that that has set that show apart for me. And you are kind of a, a symptom of that. I mean, you know, you got roped into that because of that culture. And that's that was one of the things that I liked about seeing you on there. It's like, okay, they talk about him growing his hair. So now there's a question about why he wants to grow his hair. So now we've got to delve into his personality. Well, now we're getting some background. Well, next thing you know, we're Zooming with your family at home and, You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, wait a minute, we, this uh-huh. guy has let us in and that that openness, that culture of honesty, it 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 lends a sense of like these people trust each other. Yeah, is that true? Is that is that what's really
1: going on? I I think you've captured it very very well. Um, I so uh, once again before all of this happened, I had a pretty good idea of what's happening in every act of the show. Uh, I'll read the scripts. Uh, I know what the monologue jokes are. If there was an issue with sales or whatever, uh, I would usually be looped in on those things. Don't mention um, the cruise. <laughs> and, um, and so that was sort of a tried and true. That if you want to call it late show ethics, uh, that is there's a certain way these shows are made and um, successfully you bump against that a little bit and try to make it your own. But it's still within the confines of, however, those shows are created. Um, we
0: have desk, we have guests, we have chairs, we have a band, yeah. we have an audience.
1: Yeah, and and I think the um, particularly successful people are the ones who ultimately, eventually, end up throwing that playbook away. Oftentimes, that happens early on in a show, and so the malleability is really important, I think, and uh, for any of these shows, the you have to grow, you have to change as people grow older. Uh, they change um, as shows grow older they change for James to get so comfortable and really generous in giving his show over often to all of these people who are uh, working for him and with him um, I've never seen anything like that before and he really gets a kick out of it and if he didn't he wouldn't be doing it um, and and so you know you can absolutely credit the Lettermans and Conan's done that before, and um, you know, with uh, people like Jordan Schlansky, who's a um, became a regular, uh, he did it with Jeff Ross, who's his producer. I know that show a little bit better because I used to work sure. with them, but like absolutely. Letterman, uh, as well. Like it was always fun when whether it was Biff or Tony or um, Howard Stern, obviously, has done it to uh, incredible effect on the radio, and that's a good example. Yeah, we know, um, you know, I think all of us uh have reverence for all of those shows as well and so uh you can't you can't just recreate that vibe it has to be like you said organic and come from within and so I'm not sure we could do the show we're doing now if we had started that way but it is incredible to want to do that show now based on where we started and how uh how much different it was then than it is now and both shows were great I have had I love being in the control room and watching things develop um, whether it was organically on the couch with guests or if it was just a, a really well constructed sketch that Louie di- did or or you know Olivia even yesterday did um, that's really fun uh, to watch and watch the an audience discover that and get joy out of um, out of sketch. Uh, but it is also fun when things are just happening on the floor, and we're all just part of it. And you know that happened every once in a while on the old uh, the old version of the show. Um, there was a day that um, <laughs> way back then. Uh, there was a there was a day where um, like Kumail Nanjiani and uh, uh, Dan Levy were guests on uh, on an episode, and um, there was a joke uh, that they wouldn't. Um, they wouldn't answer any of James's questions until he paid off a bet to Steve Scalfati from the band that had happened in the previous in the previous act, and it was all it was all joking, but they committed to it. So James had to leave to go find a checkbook to give Steve a, uh, to pay Steve off, and so it was just Kamel and Dan chatting about. So one of them picked up the cards and was asking questions, and it was this like very freeform, fun, silly moment. And now we do stuff like that almost every day. And uh, and you know the editors take the the uh, take some of the the fat out of that moment because we can go sometimes a half hour or longer uh, in the studio. If you're a studio audience member at this point, you see uh, even more of that than I think than you do uh, if you're watching it on TV or online. Um, but I'm not sure you're necessarily missing anything because they do a really good job of crafting the absolute like best. And they're giving us all, all, all quite a lot of, uh, of television. I mean, that is, as you said, like it's, it's at least a third of the episode these days, sometimes it's half. This- it doesn't seem
0: contrived. Uh, some parts of any show do, and, and the nice thing about when you guys do something that, that seems put together ahead of time, it it's like it was meant to. <laughs> it's like you're supposed to know now that this was really put together. But the stuff that comes out naturally does not seem like it's full of artifice. It just seems like it's, like you said, like, like a bowl session, like people just hanging out and talking about what happened to them or what's what they think is funny at the moment, or even just yeah. their responses to what's going on in pop culture. And, and like you said, to give him credit, James is more than willing to ask anybody, hey, how was your weekend? Hey, I heard you did this. Hey, tell us about that. I heard yeah. a, a juicy detail. That's so cool that he's willing to, to toss the show to somebody and let them run with it for a while.
1: Oh yeah, and I think to I still get the scripts. I still have a general idea of what's going to happen, but not nearly as much as I did before. And in some ways that just helps keep the spontaneity going I mean they don't tell me a whole lot when it comes to uh, whether James is going to ask me a question or throw to me I mean just this week uh, we uh, the name of my company changed from Viacom CBS to Paramount right and uh, and I knew I had an inkling that like this is a big enough deal as a story and it's a you know, because we're on CBS, it's going to, it's natural that it would come up that if it does come up, he's probably going to ask me something about it, but I didn't know what he was going to ask me. And, uh, and then I just had to come up with something on the fly. And then, uh, that keeps that, and uh, that turned the happy and the lower is happy. It's very well, that good.
0: is, the, I mean, you tread that line so well though, because you have hey. to do it right then. I mean, just right then you can't go hang on a minute let me think about this or pull out a prepared thing. You just, yeah, you do a very good job of that. I'm like, man, this guy ought to be in politics. If politics wasn't <laughs> such a cesspool of nonsense, you know, because you just you get that you 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 know how to negotiate. You're you're the Kissinger
1: in the room, man. You get it. Uh, I, I I try uh, I, I try my hardest to play along and also not get in too much trouble. Which fortunately uh, I know that my my direct bosses and like the heads of departments seem to enjoy. Uh, enjoy what's happening on the show and, and don't mind anything that I've said so far of the, this is, I've been doing this now for 10 months or so since, so, yeah, since May yeah. um, and uh, only once did I get in some real hot water for something and, uh, and I won't even ask that, you what it is, I won't ask well, you well, it's, is. I mean, listen, it, it, I'm sure it was cruise related, it was certainly sales related um, but, uh, but it was so early on that I think that everybody sort of figured out what was good. And I mean to the point that uh, one of the things I' uh, that tickles me the most is uh, a few months ago, um, we pitched an idea to, uh, you know, we do integrations as, as we've been talking about many times um as you drinking at a pepsi um and, <laughs> I'm sorry is that a bad it's
0: my show i can do that Hang yeah on, you can do that that's that. not a
1: problem for me <laughs> um but we uh we had a a bit where um capital one wanted to do an integration with us hmm. and hmm. we pitched an idea the that christmas uh thing? say was that the, again
0: was that the christmas thing or is that starbucks
1: uh it happened at christmas time but the christmas one one of the holiday things that was like a daydream a holiday dream was starbucks Okay, that's the uh, one. My apologies. Oh, uh, it's okay. The other, the other one, the thing that we pitched to Capital One is, well, we can't travel the show right now. That is sort of the thing that everybody is uh, likes to do is try to get uh, uh, a paid integration during one of these weeks where we travel somewhere or James goes somewhere. Um, and so we we were like, well, look at the monologue and look at what we do in the monologue, and we said, you know, um, we ne- like. James always asks me about brands. Can we say it? Uh, Can we say something? And what if this time he mentions Cap 1 and he asked me if we can talk about Cap 1 and I say yes. And then I'm the one who has to spat out all the information about Cap 1 and the APR and all the um, rewards. And they said yes. And so that was the one time where I was like, I actually, I have to... I had lines, lines man. You had lines. Were you a teleprompter, or
0: did you did you memorize them?
1: I I I had a prompter, but I I did memorize it. Good for you. Good. And I, uh, but that was a really that was to me one of the more exciting things that have happened because this organic thing that we've all done is now well known enough in the space that we where we make money that we can do something fun. That also feels like it's part of our show, Mm -hmm. Um, that they're making a joke off of a joke that's an inside joke and uh, and reaping the rewards from it because people aren't slamming, uh, you know, oh, my gosh, this looks like why did they do this or the sellouts or whatever, like the 90s terms might have been on that. This was a really like, oh, no, we figured out a way to do this. And uh, and so that was really that was a fun one
0: when you can take the cheese and make a pizza rather than just making it cheesy that's good you know yeah. you guys have managed to do that we've got some things like that on our show especially on our audio podcast uh one of our hosts has got a real pet peeve about the uh, the term decimate because decimate actually means to reduce by 10 percent. it's an old Roman <laughs> term that they would that's how they would punish their troops is they would come in and kill one in 10 of them as a motivation for the other 90 percent, which i'm I'm sure probably worked pretty well, but I don't yeah. recommend it as a as a, something for you guys to try. But whenever anybody uses decimate to mean, you know, completely wipe out, which is kind of the, the common terminology now, right. he gets very bent out of shape. So we've turned that into a thing now. If anybody ever says that or whatever, it becomes this pet peeve. We have pet peeve music plays and yeah. So uh-huh. I, I can appreciate that very much. That's really that's yeah. cool. That's like how everybody uses literally now,
1: however they want to.
0: Thank you, thank you. Yes, that's that's one changing. of my pet peeves. Thank you. <laughs> I knew it? I liked you, man. I knew <laughs> So I got to ask you since you got the hair. Are you a musician of any kind? I know you followed music as a kid and stuff. You were really into the 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 charts and the Casey Kasem's of the World like the rest yeah. of us we got up on Sunday mornings.
1: Uh-huh. Are, are you a musician or were you a player of any kind or? I never no, I never learned an instrument, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> um I I uh when I was growing up, um I I used to sing in uh like school choirs and oh, cool. um, and i was pretty s- serious about it through high school so i would um uh yeah like we had we had things like chamber singers and we had uh we had uh, all state chorus that uh i would do that i did that through uh through my senior year and then i and and then i uh i kind of put it away i think i burned out on it a little bit um uh but i always enjoyed singing but never thought of it as something that i wanted to sort of pursue in any way i just and, enjoyed it
0: and now your pr department's going oh <laughs> oh man james we had no idea we got a whole yeah. new thing so i'm yeah, so they, sorry that, that didn't okay but i
1: never know i i didn't i didn't learn anything and i kind of uh yeah i uh and i have young kids now who also haven't learned instruments and i always think like that's something that i really wish uh we'd we'd done a little bit because i think it's a lifetime of enjoyment it's well you know a
0: big time musician guy right that's yeah. my whole life so i i highly recommend it for so many reasons that actually most of which you would probably appreciate because you're you're the kind of guy who would it's um it's the greatest thing i've ever done in my life other mm. than have a kid is is learn music because it, just like you like opening up the the doors to entertainment and peeking behind the curtains and seeing how it's all done, that's how I feel every time I listen to anybody play any song because I can play bass and drums and keys and guitar and I can sing and I can write and I can produce so there's no mystery for me. I can just hear how it's done and enjoy the efforts at the different levels and the cohesiveness and all that sort of stuff. So as an understanding of the world, let alone the selfish enjoyment of just playing or the communal aspect of playing with musicians and that kind of stuff, it's it's a really freeing thing in life to, to know how to do something in music. So I really do recommend just anything, just try any instrument, just mess with it. Even if you just mess with it a little bit, you'll be surprised how much you might get out of it. And you know, yeah. I will gladly offer free lessons to you at any time on any instrument and your kids because oh, wow. I, I I teach and you know I would be glad to do that because I love getting people excited about music and having them come back to me a couple years later and go dude that was the best thing I <laughs> I just I just learned a new uh, a new guitar way of thinking a philosophy on how to improvise and how to learn the neck right and that's one of the things guitar players are always thinking about and so since i've come up with this idea i'm like i've got to start sharing this with people and the people that i've shared it with which i can usually do in about 15 minutes if you're a player at all they come back to me like where were you all my life this is the best thing and they're so empowered by that that i you know that just sends the 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 hackles up on the back of my neck i'm so jazzed about seeing that you know It's, it's it's seeing that come back around. It's like comedy. I enjoy comedy because it's, it's this circle where yeah. you give and you get, and you give and you get, and people think the comedians are, are not getting as much as the audience and they're getting more than the audience. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a great thing to get a laugh. So I, that communal thing in music, I, and I can tell you're probably into the community of comedy and theater and that sort of stuff. I think you would, I think you'd really like it.
1: Yeah, that I, I, um, I watch a lot of music documentaries, which uh, some of the more recent ones that I've seen, which uh, my guess is that you also uh, watch uh, your your fair share. The um, there was one uh, that HBO did on the Bee Gees last oh, year, yeah. and uh, and it was the story of it was interesting, but they took it. There was a moment in that where they were in the studio and they were showing specifically how they created. Staying alive mm. when that the bass lick and playing just the sort of uh, individual parts of that uh, of that song, yeah.
0: The um,
1: bass lick. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that's exactly. I say that's how he played it. Um, and uh, that is like watching that type of magic and having someone who really knows what they're doing. I saw it, like the Amy Winehouse documentary did something similar. Um, the uh, I think. Um, the guy from garbage who produced, uh, nevermind Nirvana's nevermind, uh, did something similar where they went in and they just were playing, uh, each individual part of the song and then would put, bring them together. And, uh, I think people sort of have slowly discovered how much the public is interested in, in, in that creation aspect of music as much as, uh, whatever the background of the the people who, who made it were. So, um, I can understand the enjoyment. Like I don't spend all that much time deconstructing comedy necessarily. Um, I I prefer being in the moment and, and watching it unfold and finding something exciting that I hadn't seen before. Um, uh, that's that's the most exciting part to me. But on the music end, I love seeing that deconstruction. Interesting.
0: Yeah. I I guess I. Being one of the cooks, I don't think often that people would find that as fascinating, but you're right. There's been a, a, a lot of shows recently about that, and they do seem to be pretty popular. I guess it can't all be musicians just watching. I mean, they did Steely Dan Asia, a, a breakdown of that where they're sitting at the console, p- rolling up individual tracks. You know, for yeah. me, that, that's the thing is like, you can hear the warts on the track. Now I can hear, oh, listen to the strings. Oh, there was a squeak there. I don't remember <laughs> that, you know? Uh-huh. That's
1: that's very cool stuff. Even uh, Kenny, there's a Kenny G documentary where... They spend a lot of time where he goes, whether I think you get so enamored with technology and what you can do with technology. And he would uh, go in and change one note and uh, just tweak one note and redo it. And so that one song or one riff on a song that he was playing, I don't know Sax that well, um, but uh, it was like 15 different takes that they somehow turned into a single a single song. And I was like, that's, I never really think about it that way. Cause I always think, I don't know, maybe old uh watching old movies or something that uh, you got to do it every time till you get that one take. And that's the one take that is the take. And that is not the way that music's made necessarily.
0: Not anymore. No, with, with, with the advent of all the digital stuff and being able to see what's going on to see the actual waveforms on the screen has changed everything. So yeah, I, I, Regularly as I record albums for people, I'll I'll composite their solos. I'll have them do 10 or 15 takes where they're going to make lots of bad notes because they're free. I want that improvisational on the ragged edge, don't know what you're going to do, and you're not concerned about flubbing because you know that'll be taken out like like editing out of a bad conversation at the yeah. beginning of the show you're not worried about saying something bad cuz they pulled but then you can craft this thing where you might take one note from from a solo and pull it up here and that suddenly changes everything and and you can't tell
1: there's no way to tell after the fact. Yeah. Just, well, I mean, shockingly, uh that that is uh <laughs> even to bring it back to the late late show that is that's our act one. Yeah. The uh that freedom. The uh you can say what you want. They're going to protect you. Um, if, uh, if something, uh, doesn't fire on all cylinders, that joke probably doesn't make it in that line, doesn't make it into the show. Um, so, so it does allow for more natural conversation to happen and more spontaneity to happen. And that's um, what people
0: want to see. Great. They want to see you just about to lose control, right? They want to see yeah. can it, how hard can he ride this line? That's why we like to watch, watch race car drivers, right? Cause we know that they're just constantly on that ragged edge, you know, just, just about to wipe out or, or quit. And they, yeah. hold it. they hold the line, you know, and that,
1: and that's you right now. That's what, you that's, that's <laughs> well, I everything. will say that. I mean, that's, thank you. Thanks. Um, I, one of the things that I, uh, I give a little bit of credit to, uh, places like YouTube for bringing, uh, and podcasts also for bringing is there is, uh, there is an honesty and a rawness, uh, and a realism that came from uh, people who figured out and discovered their voices in these new formats uh, that laid out both something that I, was harder to see and harder to find on uh, other television and, and uh, or films um, that weren't documentaries, that was just sort of natural comedy or, or, uh, or talk format. And uh, you could see how successful that could be, and so I think it did allow um, for a l- little bit of honesty and and um, a little more. Uh, I think just um, willingness to put yourself out there on television that um, that's really been to the benefit of of both these newer hosts and I think the viewers who have responded to it. I agree. I agree.
0: Now, because we are primarily a music program, I want to kind of bring it back to bands a little bit, because I know you, and, and we should maybe tell everybody real quick that all the shows you've, you've worked on, because you started way back in at NBC, and you've worked with uh, Jimmy Fallon, you've worked with Conan, obviously, you worked with Jay Leno uh you've worked with um you did the pete holmes show you're the producer and uh, yep. show showrunner i guess of that one right that that must yeah. be pretty exciting so you've got a big history of doing talk shows entertainment shows and interfacing with tons of bands house bands as well as, as acts that come on so the i know that a lot of our viewers are going to have questions about what it might be like either to be in the house band right because that's a dream gig or mm-hmm. To be an act that's been booked on a big show like yours, so let's talk about the the being booked on on sort of a, a situation. So let's say your band gets booked on the show. Did they reach out to you, or did you reach out to them, or could it have happened either way?
1: Uh, I would say that uh, ninety nine personally. Time, is yeah, system. yeah, that's the show. Ninety nine percent of the time, it's the show that's reaching out to the bands. Okay, um, that there might be instances where uh, the talent executives or the music execs have relationships with certain managers or agents. And they said, if you like this person, you should check out this new band or whoever it is. There's quite a few people um, on various staffs who go out and see live music on the regular and come back and say, I think this, this band's ready. Mm -hmm. Um, There are also quite a lot of, um, there's quite a lot of, uh, I think, um, excitement when you're able to book a band uh, for their late night debut. Um, and so, you know, it's it's rare that someone discovers a band for the first time because they've seen them on uh, television. I think there's so much access to, uh, to bands and, and music now that um, there's quite a lot of discovery that happens in advance of that. Whereas, you know, certainly through the nineties, I think it's the first time you might see somebody, uh, who maybe you've heard on the radio would be on one of these talk shows, um, or maybe Saturday night live. Um, I think, I uh, another th-
0: show you worked on, I'm sorry. I should know Yeah. That yeah.
1: I, I worked for them also. Um, but, uh, but it's always really exciting. I mean, we just, we just had bands called the Linda Linda's, uh, yeah. that were on the show and they are a rock band based in LA who's, uh they're all 15, 16 17 they're all girls the oldest is 17 yeah um and it's wild uh they were great and there was like an uh everybody was excited they were making their debut on television with us uh but they haven't been on television very often and it was just a blast like their energy was great the enthusiasm was great um it is really exciting also for us um to have uh, live music back in the studio, which has happened, I'd say it's, we're still, eh, I don't know, 60, 40 live to uh, somebody pre-taped that, that um, delivers a, an original performance to us. Um, but it's been great. I mean, and, and one of the other uh, things that is particularly exciting on all these shows um, is when we're able to do like a week of concerts we had Coldplay that uh, played for a week, and they played all oh, new songs. Sure. Um, yep, he did a week. Um, went back in the uh, uh, at the Leno Tonight show. Um, they had uh, live outdoor performances, so they set up. Yeah. Um, they set up. Uh, uh, they set up the band in our parking lot, and so we could have. I don't know, 500 people, a 1,000 people uh, watch that. Um, Jimmy Kimmel does it uh, out on Hollywood Boulevard. Right. Um, Conan's done it before. But all of those were really fun. Jimmy Fallon did a really cool one where it was like, uh, I don't know who the band was, but they did one um not when I was working there, after I'd left. Uh, they were like on a proscenium um, where, uh, overlooking, I think, Fifth Avenue. So yeah. you put the band outside. Oh, I
0: remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah.
1: That was really cool. cool. Yeah, very um, cool. So anytime someone gets to do something a little different, uh, I think that's always really exciting. And and now I think the uh, the goal for a lot of these bands and, and we pride ourselves on it. Uh, you know, like Josie Cliff and um, and uh, Tim, the director, and uh, everybody involved in lighting and like trying to make that performance unique to us and look different. And I think we pride ourselves on the way that we uh, showcase the band um, aesthetically uh, as well as uh, how they sound. Okay so that begs two questions for me. One, the
0: Parcels this week, right? Just yeah. the Parcels show. And I I don't I've never seen the Parcels before. I'd really don't never know much the about them. Is it wrong for me to to have BG flashbacks as they're playing? Is that wrong or is that just I'm too old? Cuz it just I'm, you know, the the fashion, the 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 beats, everything they were doing and their willingness to to be that over the top 70s looking fashion that a yeah. lot of people are not willing to do especially guys i'm like oh okay these guys are like into the image this is cool yeah. but then i noticed because i do cinematography and video i'm like looking at this going okay somebody's got a star filter on here so every little sequin is popping like crazy so who makes that decision to go yeah we're going to put that filter on
1: there yeah we're going to light it this way who does that um uh, well that is I think it's a combination of people. It's Joe C. who's uh, a co-EP of the show and works with uh, all of the bands. Um, Tim Mancinelli, who's the director. Casey, who does lighting. Um, They have a real aesthetic for it. And a lot of that comes from also Ben Winston, who's both Mm. the EP and showrunner, one of the two showrunners of the show. But he also is a director. So um, he came from directing. He started directing. He directed One Direction music videos in the uh, 2010s. And then he's directed. He directed the Friends reunion, um, and produced that. And so his eye uh, is unlike anyone I've seen in uh, for for any of these late night shows. It's uh, and particularly when it comes to music, he really really knows how to uh, get the best out of um, a musician and make them look unlike they would on any other show. So I would agree. I would definitely. Um, agree. When I, I think mean, of that's those why I like
0: beard on your show, they have a an iconic presence. The way you guys have featured them. Yeah. Not always. Not always when they've done it on their own, but when when they're in the studio, it's like, man, you guys have. It's like you keep going all out for them, but differently for each one. You know.
1: Yeah, they really do. They put themselves. They they put a lot of time into it, and and um, really want every single performance to feel special. And I think they pull it off in a really nice way. I do. Um, too. It seems it's like a, you're behind the band yeah and and that's cool from a band uh, yeah and that i mean parcels particularly also i like we were all like like this was great it sounded great it looked so cool it did um and i didn't know them either and i uh i (laughs) the first band i thought of fairly or unfairly like first uh the band bread was the one that came to mind for me wow and i sure uh, maybe America I can, I, a little bit. I
0: can see him on the on the the was it the bandstand or something with that same kind of thing. Yeah, totally. And I don't
1: know, I don't know where they got like what their uh, uh, what what they thought of or who they were looking to in order to like help them to come up with their look for the show, or maybe this is what their um their look is for their uh their future tour also. But um, but it had to come from that sort of similar thing. It looked like they could have been straight out of like the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It really did.
0: So, do you guys don't coordinate the band's wardrobe, then?
1: I don't know if we had a coordination specifically when it came to parcels. I mean, clearly, like they showed us what, like they would have told us what they were going to look like and what they were going to wear, and uh, even as they were rehearsing, um, uh, just knowing what that was going to look like, so they could adjust and and enhance accordingly. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, that is that is a level of uh, production that I don't, uh, have a whole lot of involvement in on a day-to-day basis.
0: Well, it's nice you have people you can trust to do such a good job because it really is very, very well done. So when they they do things like the, the crosswalk concerts, right. Mm -hmm.
1: Are are you coordinating with the city on that? I mean, yeah, that is, um, there is, so we have an entire field team, um, that their job is to, uh, prep for, anytime we leave the studio so whether that is yeah so i mean that is that's technically like across the street from our studio that crosswalk is oh well directly leads into television city uh, where we work um but we still have to coordinate with uh la city police um they but we've been doing it now for so long that the the conversation and the um uh, there's a bit of shorthand at this point. Um, so 10 p.m.
0: Ariana Grande. <laughs> we'll
1: be there. Bye. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so like that's those have all worked out really well. And, you know, sometimes uh, not sometimes every time we've done a crosswalk concert, which is not that often. But um, we just did one with BTS. We did one with Harry Styles. Uh those are definitely, I'm not sure if we've the done. Lion King, first right? First.
0: Wasn't the Lion King show or something? Well, like yeah, that?
1: the crosswalk, the musicals are also big and in the same space, but when it is concert specific, so it is the band coming out and performing songs in the crosswalk before they run back out. That uh, creates uh, this enormous overflow of onlookers and uh, fans that uh, are... I wouldn't say encouraged to necessarily be there, but there's also uh, because they can't like distract actual traffic. That is real; those are real people that are coming, trying to come through there, and so we can't stop the flow of traffic. Um, But uh, but it is cool when um, when you get like that amount of fandom coming to see something you're doing that is so silly. um, But they're still performing their songs. It's, so. like, it's like stupid human
0: tricks. It's awesomely silly. It's just the thing you're going to talk about the next yeah. day for sure. Because that not that really the, the big thing that shows like yours, all the shows you've worked on do is they bring this lens onto real life that's not a regular lens,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: either it's super meta and it makes you look at life objectively or or it's it's mocking and and taking things ta- as James would say taking the piss out of something right taking it off the pedestal knocking it around taking anything sacred and going well does it have to be you know it's I mean, it's a time art or tradition in comedy, but you have like made a career of working for people who really do that a lot. And you don't seem like an instigator. You're not a, an annoying prodding type of guy, I don't think. So yeah. I'm like, okay, so I think what you like is the vicarious release of, of this mocking and, and, and analyzing of, of the Seinfeldian analyzing of life <laughs> from, from a seat on the sidelines where you can provide the commentary, but I don't have to get caught up in that ruckus. I I can just let you guys do that. But hey, can I chip in over here? And by the way, did you,
1: am I right? Is that kind of a thing? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that, um, I think uh, not being a part of it and watching it happening and uh, being just slightly removed from the intensity of having worked on it, having rewritten something, having put Mm. the beats together, talking to, if it's something like a carpool uh, or a crosswalk, where you know there's a lot of members of uh, of a team that uh, helps put uh, you know these artists uh, together and in a safe space and feeling comfortable with James, who obviously has done this so much and has great relationships with people that um, it makes it easy for people to say yes. Now certainly easier for people to say yes. Now, um, so then the thing that's really exciting in those. Uh, on, on some of those and especially I think the carpools um, are the quiet moments. So the songs are great. but the chats in the car, when there's no one else around and it feels really intimate, that's really exciting and fun to see. and that's when you're getting something out of uh, a person who you don't you don't see anywhere else and that that uniqueness is essential to any of these shows having long-term success. And that is also, I think now how, how it feels in, in these first acts and and in the monologues where, you know, you want to know some real specific things about, uh, you know, Cece's weekend, like you said, Ian's upcoming wedding, uh, you know, James's yeah, James's parents who we all know. Exactly. Your parents. Uh, <laughs> and now my parents. Yeah. Um, Hang on, let me get my folks. Hey, come on. <laughs> um, so all of that, I think is, um, you just you can't manufacture it, and it's so cool when it happens. And and then when it happens once, you kind of even want it to happen again. And so you just uh, that is that is a bit of my philosophy in general on on any of these shows is uh, is allowing that space for creativity to happen and and not. Uh, my boss always said, and I've um, I've tried to adhere to this. Like sometimes the best note is no note. Um, mm. And so you feel sometimes when you're an exec uh, on this side that you're not doing your job if you're not coming up with some tweak or, or trying to push creative into whatever your idea of funny is or dramedy is or, or what, whatever you're working on. Um, and sometimes it's just the giving the confidence to the person who's making it that that's good. What you're doing is good. Keep on doing that. Um, I think that that's a uh, similar
0: role as a music producer, right? Same kind sure. of thing. I, 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 and by the way, your sometimes no note is the right note is a beautiful analogy for a lot of music too. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: But that's, that's cool. And, and you leave room for happy accidents, which for me is another thing I do when I produce music is I want, I want happy mistakes to be made where you go oh I would never have thought to do that but now that we have and then you can run with something that where did that come from I don't know it came from a complete goof it came from we were messing around or you know sometimes it's I, I dropped a stick on a, on a drum when we were recording but did you hear how it bounced oh hey uh-huh. wait, what if we do you know so yeah. that leaving that space open and then leveraging it when you can is that's very
1: cool yeah I think that's really fun. Uh, to be able to have that. And I think also um, the for me uh, and in any of the shows that I work with, um, you know, building rapport is such a key part of, uh, of the process uh, because once you have that relationship where they know you, they know that you like them, you like what they do, you are aware of what they've done, um, you you know which writers put something together, which producers are responsible for which segments. Um, you know the characters if it's a, if it's you know some of the animated shows that I work with. Um, you you just you're not just waltzing in uh, with the note, having not seen or known anybody involved in the in the situation. Um, so that when there is a uh, a conversation to be had about. Whether a direction we're going in the right direction or if we need to come up with something new, um, you're you're coming at it from a base with a base of knowledge and trust within the the organization, whether that's the show or the, the network. And uh, I also I think for me, um, the way I try to treat that part of my job is these are my ideas. I'm I'm presenting them. Take what you want. Take none if you want. Uh, I'm doing. I'm only doing this to help you. I have no. I, I try not to have any ego in it because no, no one's gonna know if it was my idea or my suggestion. That's you never
0: seem like part. you have a dog in the fight, and I'm sure you do somewhere, but you never seem like you yeah. do. That's yeah. that's the thing you do the best, man. You uh-huh. never seem like this is personal. This we're just trying to get to the best answer.
1: That, you know? That's, that's the hope that is, uh, I mean, I'm truly
0: interested in the best answer, even if you had nothing to do with where it came from and that ego kind of thing is so hard to find. I mean, everybody in theater and music and everybody is always blaming higher ups for their limitations or the things they can't do or the things they're not allowed to do. And here you are willing to be not only the face of that, all the time here. I'll, I'll, I'll hang out with you guys on the set. I'm here with you guys yeah. in this trench, so to speak, you know, fighting it out with you. So yeah, when you come up with a suggestion, it's totally
1: different than if it comes from a note. Uh, that's the hope. That's the hope. And, um, and I think it's a nice thing about, look, this is the, it's crazy, but we're, we're about to hit seven years since the debut of uh, the late, late show. And I mean, that is a lot of time, like not a lot. Late night shows have uh, now historically, the ones I've worked on at least, uh, lived for 20 years, 25 years, 30 years on air. Um, but seven years is a very long time. And we've all been together through this like crazy last few years as well. A thousand um, shows now, right? You yeah, more. yeah, we crossed a thousand. Uh, you know, it started in this like real joyous uh, sunshine every day state and then you know from from 2016 on it was a little more fraught with just more tension uh and we've found a way to sort of be a release valve I think for each other and sometimes I think for just viewers uh looking for a laugh um and so I think we all really like are proud of 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 that involvement and um you Know I'm certainly at a point now where like I appreciate every day there now. I really appreciate all the time that we get to spend together making the show. And, and, and appreciation thing I had written down again. Uh, it's um yeah, it's just like it feels like it's uh it's a special group of people and it's uh it's 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 a special show to be a part of. Well, you clearly have, and, and as I said,
0: I've watched some podcasts and things you've talked about, and and you've clearly got this appreciation for hollywood lineages and long-term franchises and and the arc of that sort of thing and now you're the curator of that kind of stuff does i mean you must you must be so proud of, of going from from loving this stuff to now i get to to take
1: care of it and nurture it and and grow it yeah there, there's a lot of pride in that um there's just not a lot of us who have gotten to have jobs like this and be involved in this many shows and i do think that like a lot of that comes from uh from rick ludwin who was the steward of this and the guy who rest in peace rick yeah i mean i mean he really did he he didn't work on every single tonight show but he worked with every single tonight show host on something and he was your
0: mentor right i mean he really kind of was the guy that you got your it seems like you got a lot of work ethic from i think didn't he used to watch all the shows and stuff?
1: Yep. Yeah, he watched everything. He watched every episode all the time. He never really took vacations. Um, he, uh, yeah, he was, uh, he always backed the right, uh, the right fight and stood up for the things he believed in. Um, but he was a mild-mannered guy and had a great sense of humor, uh, but he looked like, um He looked like a, like your high school history teacher. Um, And you used to, too. to be fair. So yeah, I did too. Um, I'm going to say chemistry. Okay. Um, And yeah, I think all of, uh, I, I think that uh, him knowing so much about late night informed so much about how he did his job. Um, And he also came from a lot of those shows as a fan first uh before he worked on them and i think that, you know that type of appreciation for the form is really uh special and unique and um i didn't necessarily realize that that's what i was doing as well but i certainly do now that um i, I have a, a lot of i have an enormous amount of respect for the genre and the people who make these shows and um, Wait, that's a, that was another one respectful man you just check <laughs> them off don't you um So, yeah, I just think that in general, um, yeah, having, continuing to be a part of it, it means a a great deal to me.
0: And it's obvious that it does. And I'm sure that that keeps people wanting to work with you on both sides, because it does seem like you really enjoy it. You're really into it for the art and the the end result of it. I mean, you seem like the kind of guy that would do anything for, for the right laugh for the bit, you know, And, (laughs) and, and, you know, that's, as a lover of comedy, that's the thing, you know, yeah. you gotta be willing to to commit for the bit. And well, you, you've, you've put on the, the, the jockey outfit, dude. I mean, you've gone all the time. <laughs> You went yeah, up yeah. what 10 feet in a chair. I mean, you're it, willing yeah. to do. And that's, that's very, very cool. That's to be admired once again. And I'm sure everybody appreciates that because there's a lot of mucky mucks that would never do that. So that's very cool.
1: Yeah, they they all get a kick out of it. I I uh, and I uh, I I more or less get a kick out of it too. Um, and uh, I can take that step away to be like, if I was just watching this, I'd think this was pretty funny. So now I just have to be in it and uh, and enjoy the ride. Um, but you're such a good
0: I, about it. That's the nice thing is that we know you're not going to get all bent out of shape or you know. It, upset you're just gonna take it in like okay fine. But <laughs> yeah this, but it's willingness to do it that's it's that reluctant star thing man i tell you when you're ready for me to write your book all right i'm working on now. One- <laughs> but seriously when you're ready for me to write your book i want to call it reluctant star <laughs> wow and, and, and seriously i mean in all honesty in all honesty you've got a story that could, that could be told so if you seriously ever want to do that let me know because man oh man you've got I can't imagine how many stories from, from backstages that you've got over the years. There's so many.
1: You know, I, yeah. geez, just working for Conan would give you enough for five books. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot there, a lot of this happened uh that I've been around. Yeah. for
0: sure. So let me take drag it back to bands for a minute and music. When a band let's say say the parcels or, or the Linda Lindas, when they get they get booked and, and it's there they're gonna be on that week what does their week look like? Is it, does anything happen prior to the day that they're going to show up? I mean, are there rehearsals? Are there contacts? Or are they just showing up on that day and diving in? Is it a long day? Is it a short day? Just, you know, the logistics yeah. of it from a band
1: standpoint. There are a lot of conversations that happen in uh, in advance of uh, the band being on. And uh, most of that conversation happens once the band is booked, then it's Josie, who I've, I've mentioned a couple of times, who talks through with, the band, what they're trying to do, how much it's going to cost to do that, what we're able to do. Um, more often than not, the all of the setup for the band performance uh, and the rehearsal for the band is happening the day of. So their day starts on the early side uh, and they have to be uh, around and present for longer than say a talk guest, certainly much longer than a talk guest. They might, sometimes the band might get there before several members of the staff gets uh, there so that they can um, do their sound check, do their camera check. And then they have like a four hour window or so once they're done with that, um, where they just have to wait. Uh, because more often than not, they're also the final uh, portion of our tape day. So the actual performance, uh, it's normally act four, five or act six of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a six act show. So, um, we almost always tape the show in order. So, uh, If we're taping at 4, are the band, is going to tape their performance closer to 5, 15, 5, They'll have been there starting at 8 in the morning, 9 in the morning oftentimes, or at least members of the band. Oh. <clears throat> um, if uh, there is um, something a little bit more even beyond uh, an in-studio performance, if it's something like uh, you know, we've had, uh, we've had a handful of artists that did, um, outdoor concerts for us in our, uh, lot. That's like a multi-day setup. Um, oops, sorry. Um, it's a multi-day setup where, uh, we would be, um, we, not being me, uh, but the show, um, figuring out how much it costs, what uh, what they can afford uh, to do. It's an entire build. It's bringing the cameras out. It's figuring out the lighting for the day when it's outside and hitting that twilight time sometimes so they can get certain, a specific uh, look. So knowing when the sun is setting um, uh, it's um, if we're going to do an outdoor type of concert, chances are we're doing multiple songs so that we can, Maximize the use of that uh, uh, that stage, so we might shoot two or three songs, maybe four songs in a day, uh, and spread them out over the course of the week. Um, if it was something like that, just because from a cost standpoint and an efficiency standpoint, that's the only way that a twelve thirty show can can do that. Um, and you know, any of the like bigger performers. Uh, also do have ideas of um, how they want to use the studio as well because one of the things that's really cool about the Late Late Show um, studio is Ben again in his wisdom um, and Rob uh, they wanted to create a look uh, that was 360 degrees so there's not a, a part of the studio that isn't camera ready and so you might have a BTS, for example, um, where there are eight members of the band or seven members of the band, uh, of the band, and they're all coming from different um, entrances. And we can shoot all those entrances, and they all look cool because they're all ready for camera, um, or they and then come out on a platform that we've created. Uh, maybe we've turned the studio around, or turned the cameras around so that we're shooting towards the audience as opposed to shooting towards where we normally have our guest bands um, situated. So quite a lot goes into it. Um, and everyone is a little bit unique, which also makes quite a lot go into it. So it's not just sort of like a standing space. Um, and uh, and I, I mean, it's one of the reasons why uh, they all look so good is because so much time goes into into creating that atmosphere. So I noticed
0: uh, it wasn't that long ago that you guys flipped sides on things, right? The band mm-hmm. used to be on one side and now it's on the other. Ian used to be on one side. W- why the change? Just, just to have a change or was there a specific reason?
1: It actually changed when we went back into the studio. Um, so it, it was changed for COVID reasons, compliance mm. reasons. Um, when Before we brought an audience back, we had to create a, enough space for uh, camera ops to be safely um, distanced from each other, uh, for James to be safely distanced, um, to have enough space in between where any of the staff was sitting. And so, um, so that's when uh, where James's desk was during that time, the pre-audience time, that was where uh, the audience is now. And oh, okay. so okay. we so, were okay. literally flipped. So the band was in the same, the band is in the same place. I see the band's it's in the set. same place. We just flipped the direction of the yeah. characters. Oh. So even originally the place that I was sitting when it wasn't the bar, the bar moved also to a different spot and um, now than it was before. But uh, where the uh, where I sat, in the post-bar uh, time is actually where the guest band performs now. Okay. Um, so okay. it was, uh, yeah, it was a much different setup, and it was, uh, it was, it was cozy. Um, yeah. It was cozy in that like there weren't. A, it's not a very big studio. Um, we were all still fairly separated from each other, but um, but I could see everyone. I, I knew where everyone was, and I always had like a direct eye line to to James. So for better or worse, he uh, he always knew where to find me. Um, and then now. Uh, this is back to the uh, essentially the original look of the show. Um, so the the big difference is where where I sit now and where most of the staff sits and where Rob is. That's we used to have a floor uh, floor seating for more audience. So we used to have we probably have about a third of the audience now uh, that we did pre pandemic, um, and and we fill in that uh, some of that space. So. Maybe there's half of the total audience um, when you include us in the mix. So um, it
0: like 150 maybe? Yeah. Okay.
1: Maybe 180 was like in that in that space. Um, and now it's closer to 50 or 55. Those musicians uh, are good I, at counting heads, man. You know, like, oh, you know, how much are we making? You in can a, see. Uh, About 127 <laughs> people, okay. Yeah. Um, and then the place where, uh, I mean, this is really getting into the weeds, but where Ian sits now, we used to have... Uh, that's where we used to have our, our, our bar. So that was a sponsored bar for a long time. Um, And then this is so that bar kind of flipped. Uh, Now that bar is in uh, part of the the studio audience space. Um, So. um, Not many
0: shows have a bar. I mean, you should be credited for having a bar, you know, when you were up at at the highest point in the chair, I I noticed you were finally by those glasses that nobody could ever reach. And I'm like, why isn't he just, you know, pop,
1: that's right.
0: You know, not I mean, too much. Right? I was
1: holding on for dear life. I was gonna say,
0: but wait, he's 10 feet up. Maybe he doesn't want to <laughs> fall. How, how stable did they actually have you? Cause I, yeah. you were doing a good job, but I'm like, you know, Nick squirms all the time, but it's usually from uncomfortable questions. Not Cause he's yeah. scared
1: of falling. So that was uh yeah, that they might've uh, in retrospect, uh, taken a little more time to secure the space that I was at. Um, but, uh, but I'm just, fortunate that uh nobody they fell faith. nobody they had faith nothing's gonna happen to him. that's right yeah more, happen. <laughs> day three was scarier than day four day four they figured it out but day three i was like this doesn't seem day four you could platform. see a big pat platform right raised yeah. up above yeah. The, yeah. the bar so have i
0: watched your show too many times holy cow all
1: right. so <laughs> yeah, i appreciate it we couldn't
0: tell when you were when the bottom of the chair was low i'm like man <laughs> you got a decent base on that because I mean, not that it won't be exciting when he falls. I mean, they'll make That's something right. of that too, but it doesn't yeah, seem okay. right. And I, I think basically their, their biggest enjoyment is watching you squirm because you squirm so well, you know, uh, you're yes. you, you, you like, you. just, you do it in a likable way, a very like, you're just a likable person. I, I
1: think it's really, I mean, one of the other nice benefits of, um, of everything that's happened to me personally is uh, the handful of interactions I've had, uh, almost all online with uh, fans of the show have all been really, really good uh, and really cool. And um, they, they enjoy watching all of us just being our, ourselves. And I think maybe some of that is, you know, I, for a lot of people still, it's hard to get together with your friends. And, uh, and we have the, uh, luxury of being able to do that every day and showing what really is like a fun friends, uh, hanging out and having fun sometimes at each other's expense, but always with the best of intentions. And, and I think that, um, it comes through, I think there's something, yeah, there's something to that. It does. I mean, that's one of the, the great strengths James has is this, this like
0: The Rock comes on or Tom Cruise comes on or somebody. And, you know, these are the untouchable people, right, that are so far above yeah. us mere mortals. And he just interfaces with them just like friends. And you get to see a side yeah. of them that they don't normally get to show either. That's and, right. And that makes you love them all the more. I mean, when you see, I would just watch the, recently the the Tom Cruise uh, 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 parachuting, right, with James. And, and I, you know, I would never do that but then my wife goes yeah but if Tom Cruise was sitting there patting me on the back going come on man we can do it with that big Tom Cruise smile you jump out of the plane I'm like yeah that's the only one. <laughs> and it's that you get to see that side of of somebody like that 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 that's that's one of the best things about the show not everybody is able to do that i mean you know yeah. uh, colbert does does that occasionally but not to the level cordes does
1: it immediately he's just like oh,
0: we're, we're friends okay
1: yeah he knows how to make fast friends it's really he cool. really does he's, he's very cool yeah. about that
0: so tell me real quick I don't, I don't want to keep it too much longer you've been so nice to, to spend the time with us but yeah. i do want to ask you about the house band situation because i'd be honest yeah. if i didn't so
1: tell me what their job is like um they uh you know they have a great they have a great gig they are essential to the show um they are I think especially over the, again, the same period of time that we've been talking about, uh, you've gotten to know every single one of them personally in a way that I don't think has ever been showcased on any of these shows. No no
0: other house band I can think of you've ever met more than two guys in the band.
1: They are all just consummate musicians. Um, And they enjoy each other's company. Um, They know each other really well. they give Reggie the space to do anything he wants, but he is uh, Reggie's both like that unbelievably rare combination of uh, incredibly talented musician and hilarious uh, comedian. And so, whichever way he wants to go during a song, uh, he can he can do that, and uh, and they can play with him as well. And then you can see the. Um, how funny everybody is in the band. Also, um, they all have a really good sense of humor. Um, we all at certain points are shocked by how much we've shared of our, ourselves, uh, on yeah, the show. Garo, sex life is really just such a topic. <laughs> <these> days. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, and the, um, yeah, I think that, uh, I think they've all just really, um, enjoyed it and, you know, they get to create, uh, original songs that we play as bumpers um, they always play this uh, doesn't always the entirety of the song doesn't always uh, get played on television but they always play out with like a three or four minute song at the end of the show I always wondered um, if they if they continued out and finished interesting um, and yeah I mean and if if you need the band to uh, come up with a song for a comedy bit like they they are game to do it and can figure out uh, figure that out and yeah, there's just a, just, uh, you know, there's just uh there's a great sense of camaraderie amongst them. And um, and I think that the way our show works, it also allows for them to do projects outside of the show as well. And um, and so you know, I know Guillermo and Hagar, like you see them playing on other people's songs every once in a while, or sometimes they'll play in the band with uh, one of the performers. Uh, I think Guillermo played on Tolliver's song mm-hmm. when he was a guest on the show. Um, and that's not the only time, uh, and you know, like this has happened, Conan's band had a lot of similar characters and, uh, Jimmy Vivino, uh, who's, uh, great and comes up with, you know, I don't know. He must have a hundred thousand original songs in his repertoire. Uh, it's an incredible. He can, um, he, he helped us on, song, I, think. I think he just, <laughs> went to he, uh, and he helped us on the Pete Holmes show also, um. Where uh, you know, he created bumpers for us, he created the uh our theme song. And, you know, we went through any number of iterations and he was just like, you give him a half hour, he comes up with something new. It's 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 remarkable. And uh so it's always fun to see those guys um when they come through sometimes with another band. And um yeah, like being uh I, I think being in a house band is uh it's gotta be one of the great, the great gigs. Well, especially,
0: especially that one, because uh, speaking of Colbert, we look at, at his house band with Jean Baptiste and, you know, great band, spectacular band all the way around, although we still want to know what, what happened to the cowboy drummer there for a couple of weeks. One <laughs> of he's he's back, back. He's back. Yeah, I know he's back now. I saw the pedal board when the guitar player went to play drums. And since I do both, I'm like, Oh man, that's cool. He does both. <laughs> I saw you left his pedals, pedal board there. I'm like, Oh, he's coming back. It'll be okay. But uh None of those bands that I can think of could have dropped a salad and it becomes a bit, and it's okay. Or my bass, my bass amp has just turned off and now I don't have bass and we just stop and we just talk about that and that's okay. I mean, I've never played a gig where you could just go, well, yeah, we just dropped something. So eh, we're going to clean this up. In the meantime, we'll just talk to you. You guys are okay with that, right? All right. I mean, you're always so concerned with that you know, suspension of disbelief on the band front, you know, no, we have to keep this, you know, above your normal hoi polloi, but no, you guys are willing to just like, eh, that's cool. We're people. It happened. And it's like, like, they're playing in your living room, which, you know, from our standpoint, they are, but it, it's like they're playing in a living room environment and they're just cool with whatever happens. And they're totally professional. They'll pick it up in a second. But meanwhile, we got to clean up the salad. Yeah. Yeah. This doesn't happen in a band, yep. environment. you know, in real bands, you know, real live touring bands as opposed to a house band. It just doesn't. So that's as a musician, that's one of the things we're like, Oh, that's, that's very cool there. Yeah. Just- the, the I, uh, freedom to, I agree. To, to, to create a new news segment every time he could just create a new one and have fun with it and if
1: he wants to go for an extra two minutes the rest of the band's just gonna let him and yeah that's cool well that is i mean the, the, nothing uh, enca- encapsulates that moment more than steve's news intro which right. came from you know just a completely organic place and has given him now. a hard time essentially right yeah. just like you know what was that <laughs> Uh-huh. And it has now evolved into, I don't know if uh, we put it online, um, Adam Abramson and the digital team uh, created uh, two different super sizzles of the evolution of Steve's news jingle. I and uh, I was encouraging them to do the second one because so he'd done so many and so many funny ones from since we'd put out the first one. And uh, people's reactions to that are so much fun to watch. And him getting... Plotted he was up there conducting. The, the yeah, exactly, exactly. That was just a blast. Um, and he had so like you can't. It's it's easy to forget sometimes because he's done so many funny ones. Um, so watching that sizzle, even for me, was uh, was a blast. Um, just to look back at some of those moments. Well, I like where you could tell sometimes
0: he's really under some pressure here to come up with something. You could he see it. he's have like, to think like of something.
1: oh, I gotta make this.
0: And you know, once again, being a musician is like, oh, I've been there. I know what that's like. Oh, I've not been
1: there. How many different no. news jingles are there? The whole point of a news jingle is it's the same every time. So, um, that is, that's uh, one of the joys of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what America waits for—the news.
1: That's right. Exactly. Uh, I'm so sorry. I have to go pick up my kids very shortly. So. Oh,
0: no, that's okay. I I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, you know, we were just so fortunate to have you and and share part of your 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 famous existence even though it's a little <laughs> uh, a little non-committal how famous you want to get about all this but
1: yeah well i appreciate you reaching out uh and it's been really fun to talk and uh thanks for watching the show and and uh and uh i hope uh i hope you don't see me in too many compromising positions uh going forward
0: <laughs> well thanks and and let me know if you want to take me up on those music lessons
1: thanks yeah i had a great time thank you
0: for nick bernstein i am jet stone and thanks for coming to gear and gigs we'll see you next time So glad you could all join us for another episode of Gear and Gigs. Please take a moment to like and subscribe. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, YouTube. Until next time, take care.